Good evening, everybody. My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So tonight, we're going to be going over a section from a smaller treatise, uh, Rationes Fidei. You'll notice it because I went over a bit of it on Purgatory last night, and that was pretty, pretty fun. But uh, we'll be going over a larger section where he, um, where he goes against Muslim objections to the incarnation. So this will be great. And uh, before that, um, if you're not a member of the Discord, I humbly plead with you that you would join it. That's very helpful because you can become a part of the discussion and um, get updates a lot more efficiently than over social media or uh, from YouTube alerts or anything like that. So that's really helpful. And then if you're not subscribed already, because I just realized I had no idea that about 75% of the people that view my videos, according to my YouTube statistics thing, are not subscribed. So if that's you out there, then please subscribe. Um, it's my videos are really of interest to anyone, um, Catholic, Protestant, even, even you Muslims out there. I've been doing videos recently on those subjects and I've been having, I've been having some on to talk about the differences we have and how we should go forward with that. And this is one of those videos. So if you're not subscribed, that's really helpful. And then also patreon.com slash militantomist. That's really helpful to, to help me continue doing what I love, which is this. And you get access to bonus stuff. So please go there and join if you have not yet. So let's get right into it. I'm going to share my screen. And as I said last night, as, as I said last night, um, this was a work written by St. Thomas for laymen. So all of you out there that aren't uh, medieval scholastic theologians, this is a very helpful text because it requires a lot less explaining on my part and can make some smoother reading for on your part. So this is a helpful text, Rationes Fidei. I have the link in the description below if you'd like to read the whole thing later. It's a pretty short read and it's very, very clear. Now he wrote it when he was in Spain for lay people in order to inform them and to teach them how to defend the faith against Muslim, mostly Muslim objections, but also there, are, there is a chapter on Orthodox objections, namely purgatory, which I went over last night. Okay, let us get started. So chapter five, the reason for the incarnation of the Son of God. A similar blindness makes Muslims ridicule the Christian faith by which we profess that the Son of God died, since they do not understand the depth of such a great mystery. First of all, lest the death of the Son of God be misinterpreted, we must first say something about the incarnation of the Son of God. For we do not say that the Son of God underwent death according to his divine nature, in which he is equal to the Father, who is the foundational life of everything, but according to our own nature, which he adopted into the unity of his person. So there's a few important things I want to note right here. So notice, I was actually just reading about this earlier in Leonetius of Byzantium. So this is a very old idea going back to the immediate uh, Chalcedonians. So when we talk about the death of the Son of God, so if we say that God died, 
there is a dual predication, or Leonidas calls it a double predication. So what we are not saying is that God died according to his divine nature. But what we are saying is that God died according to his human nature. But the subject of this is still God because of the unity of his person. So we have that single subjectivity and dual predication. So keep that in your mind uh, when you're doing Christology all the time. It's very helpful. That single subjectivity is based on the fact that there's one person. And the dual predication is based on the fact that that one person has two natures. So going on, to say something about the mystery of the divine incarnation, we must observe that any intellectual agent operates through a conception of his intellect, which we call a word, as is clear in the case of a builder or any craftsman who operates outwardly according to the form that he conceives in his mind. So these are some pretty complicated concepts, but thinking about the way in which we perceive things. When um, we're going and writing a paper, for example, let's say you're, you're sitting down and you're about to write a paper. In your mind, you have a certain concept or form or, as we would say, outline or idea of that paper in your mind, which is distinct from your mind, but still can be called one with it. So what Aquinas is going to do is he's going to tell us that that's how we conceive of the Son of God, that he is like that mental word that we have in our mind in relation to uh, our intellect. So since the Son of God is the very word of God, it follows that God made everything through his Son. So he applies this now to creation. So just as you might have that concept for a paper, or let's say you're building a, um, where is it? Where is it? Let's say you're building a white monster can. So you have this white monster can, and you have a concept of white monster can in your mind, and then you make your white con monster can on the basis of that idea in your mind. It is the same way, according to St. Thomas, with the word of God, because that idea in the mind of God is God himself, the second person of the Trinity. So when he creates everything, he creates it through that word in his mind. And that's how he's going to interpret uh, John 1 when he, when St. John talks about the Lagos of the Father. It is a rule that principles which make something are also principles for repairing it. Okay, so this is actually really, this is going to get glorious. So the background of this is um, St. Athanasius's On the Incarnation. So from this principle that Thomas has outlined, that you have this white monster can, you have that word in your mind, and you make the white monster can based on that word. So God, with a word in his mind, which is the Son of God, makes all things. So, so also, by that same word in the mind, you repair it. So let's say I make this white monster can based on the word in my mind of the white monster can, and then it gets destroyed or it gets into desolation. Let's say I, uh, it accidentally crumples or something. Well, what am I going to repair my beloved white monster can on the basis of? I'm going to repair it on that same word that I have in my mind, that same idea of white monster canness that I have in my mind. 
So if a house falls down, it is restored according to the plan by which it was first made. Among the creatures created through God's word, rational creatures hold the first rank, since all of the creatures serve them and seem ordered to them. That is reasonable because a rational creature has mastery of his own action through free will, while other creatures do not act from free judgment, but by force of nature. Universally, what is free is higher than what is in bondage. Slaves serve the free and are governed by them. Therefore, the fall of a rational creature is truly considered more serious than the defect of any irrational creature. Nor is there any doubt that God judges things according to their real value. So it was fitting for divine wisdom to repair the fall of human nature, much more than to step in if the heavens were to fall or any other catastrophe that occurs in bodily things. So we have our example of the white monster can. But let's think of a person. Let's think of the dignity and value in which a rational creature that is a person has. If my white monster can gets unfortunately crumpled, that is not a big deal, but with the destruction of a human being, which is of the greatest dignity among creatures, then this is a pure catastrophe. So also, when humankind falls, humankind, what am I, liberal? When mankind falls into desolation and into sin, it is of the greatest catastrophe. So this is something that must be reversed. There must be a reparation of this because God judges things based on their real value. And since human beings have value, so also is God going to act towards repairing mankind. But what repairs it? On the basis of what is it repaired? And this is where we're going to start to get into his logic behind the incarnation, because since there is the destruction of man made in the image of God, made according to that intellectual concept that is the word of God. So also is it fitting that when it comes to the reparation of mankind, you need that same word of God, which is in the intellect. So let's keep going on. Rational or intellectual creatures are of two kinds. One separated from a body, which we call an angel, and the other joined to a body which is the human soul. In either one, there can be a fall because of freedom of the will. By a fall, I do not mean that they fall out of existence, but that they lapse from righteousness of the will. A fall or a defect refers specially to a principle of operation. So a principle of action, if you want to think about it that way. As we say that a craftsman has gone wrong because he's deficient in the skill he needs to do his job. And we say that a natural thing is deficient or spoiled if the natural power by which it acts is corrupted. For example, if a plant lacks the power of germinating or a piece of land lacks the power to be fruitful, a rational creature operates by its will where there is freedom of choice. Therefore, the fall of a rational creature is a defect of righteousness of the will, which taken place by sin. The defect of sin, which is nothing other than the perversity of the will, is something especially for God to remove, and that by his word by which he creates, all creatures. Let's keep going. The sin of angels, however, could not be corrected because of the immutability of their nature makes them impenitent from any direction they once take. So here, very important. So you may be asking at this point, well, when you have the pure intellects that are angels, 
that must be an even greater tragedy than the fall of man. And in a sense, you would be correct. So the objector may reply, well, if he's going to save mankind, wouldn't it be even more fitting if he was going to save angel kind? Well, that's not so because of the very nature of an angel. Because sin is found in the will, when an angel goes in a certain direction of the will, since he is immutable in, in his nature, he does not change that action of the will. But man is, another, is, uh, is not like that. We have mutability of nature. So we can go from willing towards sin and then by grace and by the, uh, by the affecting of the logos, the affection, the affecting of the word of God, we can choose a different thing and go in that opposite direction. Let's keep going. But men's wills, will is changeable by nature so that they are not only able to choose different things, good or evil, but also abandon one choice and turn to another. This changeableness of the will remains in man as long as he is united to his body, which is subject to variation. When the soul is separated from the body, it will have the same immutability as an angel naturally has, so that after death the soul is impenitent and cannot turn from good to evil or from evil to good. Therefore, it was fitting for God's goodness to restore fallen human nature through his son. And oh my gosh, this, this is just glorious. This makes so much sense when it comes to the incarnation. So the, the objector may further ask, well, what about the souls in hell? Why do the souls in hell, why are they not repaired by the word of God? Why are they not? Because the changeableness of our nature is found in the fact that our soul is united with a bodily nature. And the fact that a bodily nature is mutable, it changes. Therefore, so also may or will change. But it is basically hopeless for those separated souls in hellfire because they will not change. The way of restoring should correspond to the nature being restored into its sickness. And this is a pretty general principle. For example, if you have, um, let me think of a non-controversial sickness. <laughs> you know, why not? If you have a 20-year-old like myself who has COVID-19, oh, I probably just demonetized myself. <laughs> has um, the virus, and I'm 20 years old, I'm young, I'm healthy, there's nothing wrong with me, and uh, the sickness is very light. You're not going to put me on a ventilator. That would make absolutely no sense because that's not corresponding to my nature and the nature of the sickness. But if you have somebody who's 85 years old, if you have great-grandma who gets COVID, and she gets very sick and does not have the use of her lungs because of her nature and the nature of her sickness, it would be rational to correspond to that by using a ventilator. So the nature to be restored was man's rational nature endowed with free will, who should not be subject to exterior power, but be recalled to the state of righteousness according to his own will. So just as our will was corrupted in our fall from grace, so also by grace, our wills are restored back to righteousness. So the object of the healing is going to be in our will. 
His sickness, being a perversity of the will, demanded that the will should be called back to righteousness. Righteousness of the human will consists in the proper ordering of love, which is its principal act. So what in our, in our salvation, what have we fallen from? Well, we have fallen from charity. So where are we going to be drawn back to? Where are we going to be, where, in what way, what virtue our will is going to be healed back to? And that's to charity. So it's from falling from love and then back to love. Rightly ordered love is to love God above all things as our supreme good and refer to him everything that we love as our ultimate goal and to observe the proper ordering in loving things by preferring spiritual to bodily goods. To excite our love towards God. So now after laying all of this nice deep theory, he's going to give us a solution which makes the most sense. To excite our love towards God, there was no more powerful way and that the word of God, through whom all things were made, should assume our human nature in order to restore it, so that he would be both God and man. As if you think of it, think of it, even those listening who do not believe in the incarnation, what could be a greater stimulation and drawing to love than the fact that the eternal, immutable God was incarnated? into man and then suffered for our sake. That is the most fitting way in which this restoration would happen is through the incarnation. It's most fitting for multiple reasons as he laid out above. It was most fitting that it would be man and that it wouldn't be angel. It was most fitting that it would be the word because the word was that exemplar through whom all things were made and through whom all things ought to be restored. It is the most fitting in that it was the act of God becoming man to excite us to the greatest degree of love. The incarnation on all degrees is the most fitting way in which mankind is to be saved. Now he gives reasons behind this. First of all, because the strongest way God could show how us how much... Gosh, what is with this? There you go. First of all, because the strongest way God could show how much he loves man was his willing to become man for his salvation. And nothing can provoke love more than, than to know that one is loved. And that statement really stands on its own. That nothing can provoke love more than to know that one is loved. And the supreme icon of that, of the love of the Father, is that great act of the incarnation and the great humility that that required the absolute humiliation of the son in taking upon the human nature then also man whose intellect and affections are weighed down towards bodily things cannot easily turn to things that are above himself it is easy for any man to know and love another man but to think of the divine highness and to be carried to it by the proper affection of love is not for everyone, but only for those who, by God's help, with great effort and labor, are lifted up. Oh, did my internet just go off? Okay, I'll restart that. Then also man whose intellect and affections are weighed down towards bodily things cannot easily turn to things that are above himself. It is easy for any man to know and love another man. 
but to think of the Divine Highness and to be carried to it by the proper affection of love is not for everyone, but only for those who by God's help with great effort and labor are lifted up from bodily to spiritual things. Therefore, to open the way to God for everyone, God willed to become man, so that even children can know and love God as someone like themselves. And so by what they grasp, they can progress little by little to perfection. As you think about the economy of the Old Covenant, the economy of the Old Covenant was a was centered around the transcendence of God, the fact that it was something which they could not complete. The fact that the no matter how much, no matter how many animals you sacrifice, the stain of sin was still present. The fact that there was a greater intercession necessary because of um, the need to even atone for the own sins of the, of that of the high priest who offers sins for the people. So if you just read the whole book of Hebrews, that is that's the main point, is that the old covenant did not give grace. There was grace not present in the ordinances of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, the incarnation, that fountain of all of the sacraments and rites of the church and of the church itself, that is just a an amazing focus on the imminence of God. The main focus on the fact that it is something which now has been opened up to us. The fact that we can know God by knowing man. That even children can know God. Okay, there's a quick question from Shia Alex that I'll answer. Shia Alex, even children can know God. How is that possible Consider they cannot de facto even place in all the sacraments according to your theology? Well, the efficacious working of the sacraments um, and the sacraments of initiation, I'm specifically going to talk about because it wouldn't make much sense um, when it comes to ordination um, and marriage and last rites and, and, and the like. But when it comes to baptism, uh, confirmation, and Eucharist, those are open to children. There is no divine law which is stopping children from receiving those three sacraments of initiation but but according to uh, ecclesiastical uh, ecclesiastical positive law in the west according to the traditional uh, traditional way in which the west has done the sacraments of initiation we do restrict them to adults for various reasons and i don't also necessarily um, agree that that's the best way of going things going about things you can throw tomatoes at me or whatever uh, when I was an Anglican my son was was communed but um, yeah that's about it yeah and, and uh, John Fisher also says that you could hypothetically ordain them yes okay let's keep going Also, for God to become man, gave man the hope of eventually participating in perfect happiness, which only God naturally has. Boom, right here, theosis. So the fact that God became man, so also do we know that man may become God. That man may become partakers of the divine nature and of eternal beatitude. 
If man, knowing his weakness, were promised the eventual happiness in which angels are hardly capable, since it consists in the vision and enjoyment of God, he could hardly hope to reach it unless the dignity of human nature was demonstrated in another way, namely by God valuing it so highly that he became man for his salvation. So God's becoming man gave us hope that man could eventually be united to God in blessed enjoyment. Man's knowledge of his dignity coming from, and this is kind of funny because rad trads will get mad about us talking about the dignity of man, but uh, here's St. Thomas. Man's knowledge of his dignity coming from God's assuming a human nature keeps to him a, from subjecting his affections to any creature, whether by worshiping demons or any creature through idolatry or by subjecting himself to bodily creatures through disordered affection. For if man has such a great dignity by God's judgment, and he is so close to him that God wanted to become man, it is unworthy of man to subject himself improperly to things inferior to God. Okay, so chapter, there's also chapter six, and I think seven also. Yeah, but I'm going to put those off for another day. I will uh, go over them later. Do you guys have any quick questions before I go? Because I should eventually, uh, should eventually uh, have dinner. Yes, there will be a, a chill stream tomorrow in case you're, in case you're wondering. Do you think I have another thing planned for tomorrow? I'm not sure. I'll probably do part two of this tomorrow. If you guys, if you guys want to hop on. Not seeing any questions. I'll give you like another 20 seconds. Oh, the other Paul. Yes, our stream. <laughs> See, I knew something was going on the other Paul. I knew it. And it's our stream. And then the six hour Nostra Tate stream tomorrow. Oh my, I'll be busy. I'll have the the two hour stream with the other Paul, the two hour chill stream, and the six hour Nostra Tate stream. I'll just I'll just stream all one of these days I want to do like one of those massive like eight hour streams. Maybe I'll just like read through like just a massive um, locus of the of the Summa and basically give you guys like an entire like seminary class worth of reflection on a certain topic. That'd be really fun. I think I think I can handle it. I think I can handle it, honestly. But my mind might fail. So yeah, so for tomorrow, uh, if you guys are interested, go to the other Paul. Uh, he has a wonderful page. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, we'll be talking about Molinism tomorrow. We'll be talking about whether middle knowledge exists. He's going to take the uh, take the more biblical route to things. And even though um, I follow the Magister and Sacra Pagina, the master of the sacred page, I will be taking the more philosophical, uh, theological considerations when it comes to when it comes to uh, middle knowledge. Okay, and if we don't have any more questions, I'll give you guys another ten seconds. This was just amazing. Honestly, I think this is just like the entirety of On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, but in like 10 paragraphs. St. Thomas was an absolute master. It's, it's great. She, Alex, says, my question will be sent by Pigeon.
Uh, so the other Paul says, I won't be autistic about our roles tomorrow. So feel free to comment on scripture and I'll probs also comment on some philosophical stuff. I don't know, man, I'm a Roman Catholic. So I obviously never heard of scripture, dude. I only know what the magisterium says. I only know what the, the popes say. I've never read scripture. I wouldn't know anything about that. Okay. That's all I have for you guys tonight. And actually, I probably won't have another stream. I don't know. I'm weird. Make sure you check Twitter or the Discord. I might just throw up. Throw up. Oh, okay. Um, Elijah's a great question. So what does Thomas think of the hypostatic union? I heard one person say that it makes Christ's human nature like an accident. So I actually have a section. I, I remember the section from the Summa, so I'll pull that up real quick where he does talk about this. Just give me one second. Okay. Let's see how good my memory is. Okay, the mode of union on the person. Man, I hope that I can find this. Man, if I can't find this, this will be the biggest tragedy ever. I'll just have to do a whole other video on this topic. This is very important. Okay. Let me try. Maybe this one. Dang it. I cannot find it. Okay. I guess I'll just still hold. Maybe um, later tonight at like, uh, I think my class is done at 930. So maybe like 1030, 11 o'clock tonight. I'll do another stream on this because I can't find it right now. But in brief, um, St. Thomas actually explicitly speaks against this objection. Well, this idea uh, that was present in earlier Latin theology, because some had um, made the mistake of taking the analogy of the divinity being like the substance and the humanity being like the accidents. They took it a little bit too literally. They didn't realize that in analogies, you have um, what's called dissimilitude. So there, um, there's a few, uh, uh, there's negations that we make uh, when it comes to uh, explaining the human nature being like an accident and hearing the substance. And what, what that means is that there's a certain degree of oneness while there's also duality. But I can explain that much more detail later. So she, Alex, do a stream on the Thomistic view of the HU. What is the HU? Is that the hypostatic union? Or is that hypothetical universalism? There's a lot of HUs in theology. Let me see. I think uh, Father Lagrange has a whole section on the Thomistic view of the hypostatic union. If I'm remembering correctly. Yes, he does. That'd be a cool text to go over. I like Lagrange because uh, he also synthesizes some some later Thomistic thought, but this would just be a beast of a stream, though. It would be like three hours. <laughs> it would be there's so much to explain when it comes to the language used, but um, that would be fun. Oh yeah, and then uh, she Alex for for your information um, and the, everybody else. I guess hypothetical universalism refers to a certain view of the atonement, not. Um, a certain view of the uh, 
idea that all men may be saved. So, okay, that's all I have for you um, tonight, except later I may get into that question about the human nature uh, being an accident. So uh, we can we can discuss that later, maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I don't know. I work the night shift now, so I don't go to bed until like five o'clock in the morning. So that's fine. Um, so I have for you, make sure again, uh, Discord's very important. 75% uh, of you statistically uh, are not followers of me. So make sure you click that subscribe button um, that I'm sure eventually I will do another stream that's of interest to you and become a patron, please. Please, I'm begging you, you, you out there, you become a patron. Okay. Thank you guys uh, for listening, and I will talk to you guys later tonight. Goodbye. Lord.